What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Grepcast from TSP LLC, bringing you a bi-weekly look into the world of technology and technology-adjacent ephemera. My name is Adam Fisk, and today we are joined by Michael O. Hello. And Kelly Ford. Hello. Mike just uh, presented us. It looks like he has 100% oxygen in 100%. that blood, which is That's great right. to hear. No <laughs> early warning signs for us. My pulse is like at 30 or something, but it's fine. Yeah. You know, it looked no... like an old flip phone to me. I was like, why Why are we talking about this? <laughs> it's Look like the world's smallest flip phone. Hello. <laughs> Do you remember those when those were like super popular? They like were. The two super tiny like, ones? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I loved I loved my like, it like rotated. Yeah. And I was like, small phones, it's so the future. And then I was totally wrong. <laughs> and then look at uh, this behemoth that I have yeah. in my hand. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a uh, good weapon. Yeah. I can chuck it at someone. So in terms of other future things that we thought would come to fruition, we finally found our future, and that future is firm in Bitcoin and VR, the two subjects that we love talking about and super didn't create a moratorium on it. But this is coming to us uh, actually from a Twitter post that Mike found. It is from at Michael Folkson. Uh, they, this individual hosted a Socratic seminar in VR uh, talking about Bitcoin, uh, VR Bitcoin. So I hated this and I did not like it at all. Well, <laughs> and, and and pretty much that's the only thing to really state about it in the yeah. sense that like there is really no material or even funny commentary we can make on it mm-hmm. other than the fact that it's Bitcoin and yep. VR together at last. Right. It's... Well, I skipped the whole, the whole seminar. I was oh, only there yeah, for yeah. the beginning when they were like little little avatars hovering around and trying to figure out what they were doing. And then uh, the people in the audience being like, do you see me walking around? Can you hear me? And then someone says, I can take a picture of myself. Oh, dope. (laughs) There was a lot of people wandering around looking at their hands. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know what? I get it, though. It it had that, you know, we had had this conversation about virtual reality and using what have you earlier and i was like i just don't know why but then once i saw it it was like okay this is this is pretty dope dude um (laughs) it looked fun but then i was also like whoa yeah definitely need a bonnie the motion sickness before doing the virtual reality seminar and i just i don't know what i would gain from this yeah ultimately as opposed to just watching a normal webinar because so for those who just Honestly, don't even want to click the link. I don't blame you. Uh, it is like a weird brick theater with a large kind of like presentation screen. And it just looks like a GitHub screenshots. It, I could just be watching this on a webinar. Somebody could do, be doing yeah. screen sharing and I would gain the exact same amount of uh, information and togetherness as uh, being in the VR. But, you know, people are bored. Do what you do. It's great. I don't know. Maybe it will keep people's attention. Like I was thinking about. Well, obviously not because people were wandering around looking at their hands. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But it has that. I I did watch. um, I went down the the rabbit hole as I tend to do. I think it was. I don't remember what it was. But someone was talking about using 
virtual reality for classrooms and when that might happen. And of course, they're forward thinking. They're, or as our friend Crystal says, future tripping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, shout out to Chabo. Um, so yeah, he was saying it would be cool. Obviously, there are some, you know, things that need to happen first. One, not everyone has access to virtual reality, mm-hmm. but it could. Be, it is interesting to see because this is the first version of this, right? So it is right. interesting to see or think about how they could one handle that motion sickness, yeah. um, but stabilize this and then get it into a place where being in a classroom actually can be less like being in a video game, but more like being in an actual lecture hall and how that could go wide and be useful for a lot of people, including, um, especially at a time like now when we're all in quarantine, but thinking again, that future tripping of, Oh, this could actually be cool for online universities even. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you think about like the first video conference, like right now in the era of COVID, right? Everybody's on Zoom calls. We're using Ring Central meetings right now to record this podcast, but this is pretty much the app that is up like 50% of the time, either this or Zoom for us. Mm-hmm. And But you think about like, what did it take to get here? Mm-hmm. Like, what was the first video conference call? What did that look like? And right. yeah. I mean, I remember initially like Skype being like a really big deal. Oh my God, it's free and you can see each other. Mm-hmm. But even before then, like the the various iterations of video conference calls and like the devices that people thought we'd have, the yeah. phone that was a video phone, and you know the, the you know the Dick Tracy watch idea and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All like, the, all the giant like telepresence systems that people had. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. To not be as much of a bummer, uh, as of record as as i do so as a quick aside it's great every time we're doing a conference call from home because i'm sitting in my dining room i have a big art wall and there's one print that's always over my shoulder that just says always a bummer on it so it's very good (laughs) Um, but as of recording massachusetts did just officially cancel the school year Uh, school will not go back in session this year so all those individuals and all those parents who are now homeschooling their kids or creating these kind of virtual Zoom environments to get back with their class, I can see a a version of this. Like nobody ever thought every school child would be given a laptop or an mm-hmm. iPad. Exactly. So you know what? Who knows what in 10 years, which version of the Oculus Quest will just be kind of the standard issue. Hey, welcome to your first day of school. We'll collect right. this back. So right, and, and and at that point we'll say we were wrong. But until then, right? <laughs> I, I, I this I is will. one I'm gonna be not pessimistic about. And okay. you know that's well, rough for me. But well, you know, but the good thing is on Grebcast we can be both right and wrong at that's the same true. time. So mm-hmm. if the VR future comes true, and you can just you you know I'll just shut up and then Kelly you can say I called it. I would never. Have I ever said I told you so, Mike? <laughs> Never have. To your face. Oh, no, no it's that. it's only I'm on just Slack. <laughs> just on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would never. Yeah. But moving right along, Apple has now acquired another service, another random team to add to their uh, stock lists. This time it is Grepcast favorite Dark Sky. Dark Sky has officially been purchased by Apple, and they will, uh, we presume... 
be adding that into their stock weather apps down the line. But what this does mean is if you are an Android user, not anymore, can't download it. Uh, Oops. And to that point, you have only a few more a few more months to find your new favorite weather app until July 1st because it will totally stop working. Apparently, mm. the app rating in the Android store is quote-unquote destroyed yeah. per Android police site. That's an actual website. <laughs> I just went blind. The things I do for this podcast, the research I bring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you find all the various police states both Android and otherwise for us. Yeah. Uh, the one benefit of this in echoing kind of the Google Nest API stuff is they are at least giving till the end of 2021 for various services who use uh, the Dark Sky API for their weather apps to find something new. So I guess some bright signs at the end, but I'm sure everyone is now scrambling to find which other weather app they can find that will let you know oh. it's about to rain in 10 minutes. It's so well, helpful. When it works. It is, it is so helpful <laughs> when it works and, and when the radar actually is sort of updated. Yeah. I, I, I file this one under things that I really cared a lot about before COVID. Mm-hmm. And now that COVID's here, I'm like... Yeah, you know, for about 10 seconds, I was like, man, that really sucks for all those Android users. And then I was like, oh, still on my phone. <laughs> it's every man for himself out here. Care. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to care. I got other things. Screw you, Android shopping. users. Yeah, exactly. Got- that's their That's their mistake. Because the one thing that the COVID lifestyle is treating us is that got mine is the appropriate response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 100 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But on that point, moving right into our kind of first major topic, Apple and Google, <laughs> weird, are uh, joining the fight against uh, COVID-19, specifically as it is developing mechanisms for contact tracing. Uh, contact tracing is becoming the new buzzword as it uh, pertains to COVID, as it pertains to COVID, uh, specifically in how we're able to... Un- you got to leave that in yeah, there. Yeah, COVID. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> GoPro's newest <laughs> product for you. Um, it's a streaming service, obviously. Um, but yeah, they are together at last to hopefully bring uh, a empowered API for various governments to figure out where you're going and who you're talking to. What could go uh, wrong? What could go wrong? We haven't said that well, in a while. <laughs> this is such a comp. Well, it's 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 both an interesting story because of yep. COVID, but it's so many layers to peel back on this. And I'll I'll introduce a couple things, and and we can talk about probably ten others. But like one of the really interesting pieces about contact tracing, uh, while it's pretty well covered in a lot of different sources, but you know Apple's like. Apple needs to get involved in this as well as Google on almost a hardware level. I mean, in the sense that like there's a lot of uh, security level things that have been put into place to basically not allow contract contact tracing to, to work. And so one of the reasons that this isn't just an app that people can develop and put on an, on a device like you, they've tried to do in lots of different countries because those those apps really don't work because of these sort of like OS level restrictions that are meant to secure your privacy. Right. So Apple's kind of having to undo some of that stuff in the interest of like health. you know public health and security. Yeah, I feel. I honestly, you probably retweeted it, Mike. There was a really good Twitter thread 
where somebody was testing a contract contact tracing app and it essentially was unusable because the screen had to be on at all times for the Bluetooth collection to work. And that's not how people work. Um, so in this case, there are two really, really, or three really good articles that we can use to dissect. The first one is from CRN. Uh, this is written by Joseph Sudukal. I'm sorry, Joseph. I didn't do that well. Um, but this is really kind of examining the entrance of this. So this has been announced. Uh, as of right now, they are uh, examining a May release date of this API. The best part of this is that it will be interoperable between Android and iOS, which really is kind of a first of its kind, uh, at least at this baseline, which is very, very interesting from a kind of putting bygones away perspective, but it does make me nervous on what happens next. It's very difficult for APIs, as we can see, to be undone, and we'll definitely talk about this uh, later on in the episode. But I, I don't know. And Mike, you were in this article. You were quoted a few times. Well, and I will say that any Grepcast listeners who's listened to a previous episode where we talked about COVID and the balance between this sort of uh, data security, public health, privacy stuff, uh, we'll, we'll get the reference because one of the things I brought up was this Tectonics GEO tweet that we railed on, I think, on the last episode where they talked about the ability to uh, track anonymized data on, on mobile phones across the country from Fort Lauderdale all over you know, the United States. And, and I mean, essentially that's kind of, you know, was, was really part of the, the, what I was interviewed about was, you know, A, would it work technically? And my sort of point was, yeah, cause like they're already doing right. it. It just happens to be with advertising, not with, you know, uh, you know, COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Apple and, and Google open this, the APIs up so you can, you know, kind of subvert some of these security uh, restrictions that they have put in place, which it seems like they're doing. And then B, like, you know, really what's the implications for privacy uh, and security and, and, you know, public health. Mm -hmm. And, and it is, it is really kind of an interesting, uh, you know, thing that uh, obviously a lot of other uh, articles have covered since then. Ultimately, I think the biggest thing that put this into perspective, because the idea of contact tracing and why it's so important is been all over the news and to the point where it's almost that uh, early in our Grepcast episodes, we landed on a, what was it, disaster fatigue, that's the name, mm -hmm. where you hear something so many times it kind of starts to lose, not in value, but we just kind of start to tune it out. And that's what this phrase is for me, contact tracing. There mm -hmm. was a an accompanying article from the Harvard Business Review that really put it into clear words on how it's really being used. And this is specifically in kind of East Asia countries and how they've managed their, um, their curves and flattening it. But the best way that I found is a, an initial quote uh, by Wang Yi, who's the foreign minister for China, who said, only in China and only under the leadership of President Xi can there be such effective measures to put this sudden and fast-spreading epidemic under control, which has caused countless pundits and countless <laughs> people like me on Twitter to say, 
you know, if only we were an authoritarian regime, <laughs> we could pull this under. <laughs> we too. And ultimately what this Harvard Business Review article starts with is that's not necessarily true because while China was able to flatten their curve fairly quickly, all things considered, uh, South Korea, which is a vibrant democracy, did it just as well. Uh, whereas other democracies such as Spain, Italy, France, the U.S., I uh, have been doing a terrible, terrible job. <laughs> and I think one of the key things that was really interesting is not necessarily the culture, while important to Kelly's point, there is a more collectivist spirit that encourages people to be more civically minded. Uh, they're more willing to comply with government infection control apps. <laughs> right. And I think well, too, and infection control yeah. sort of measures, period, oh, yeah. not just that. Right. And also the effectiveness of, say, China mm -hmm. and possibly South Korea TBD is based on what they're telling us. Mm -hmm. So there's part of that. That's the true. app also requires user input. So this is also a permission-based model, which is great. Um, but it also requires people to participate. And so that's something um, I was looking through articles for this and found the ACLU and part of their thing is just like, you know, one of the issues you're going to have with something like this, like they were kind of, you know, cautiously optimistic with their usual uh, privacy concerns, but also saying, you know, because telephone, telecom has had such a big issue with privacy, there are a lot of doubts there's a lot of fear and anxiety about giving this type of information. And I think that's a valid fear when you consider totally. things like health information. This is really detailed information, not just with the location tracking, but with the health information that you're giving people. And going back to a previous episode about um, health insurance companies using information from just a social media post to increase right. your premiums. This is a valid concern, I would say. Um, and of course, I always laugh when they say anonymized because we always put that in quotes and then laugh. Um, because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't. Exactly. And of course, you know, the Bloomberg article we've been looking at, you know, it was basically, what did they say? Um, Kind of sounds like it's written by a PR person. I know it's not. It's an actual Bloomberg writer. But um, the idea about uh, it's they're doing this without compromising privacy, right? And it, and right. it's like yeah, until yeah. I mean, it's it. And this is your one prices of my points. fall, and then you're doing back alley deals with a hostile mm. nation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like uh, you know when when. Joseph was sort of asking me about it I was and the privacy issues. I was like, well, it's all still a database, right? Yeah. So it's anonymized up to certain points. Right. And it's and it's like our discussions about encryption. You know, VPNs are encrypted until a certain point. Right. But mm -hmm. once that point is reached, so yeah, it's anonymized. It's but you know, in order for it to work, there has to be an association with that device and your personal identity and location at some point. And that's behind all the locks and all the closed doors and all, you know, in this encrypted database, which, you know, is only so safe. And it's both 
either that it gets hacked into, which is one fear, or the second thing, like you're talking about, Kelly, is somebody chooses to open it up because that data is there and maybe was, you know, under, you know, one particular, you know, terms of, you know, engagement and like, you know, you signed off on these things, but those things change all the time. And then, you know, in a year or two, suddenly that becomes released to a health insurer or all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe that happens, but I am a little bit hopeful yeah. on this one. There you is know? a website already that's free. I mean, of course, we also put free in quotes, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's run through, I think it's it's through, It's a, it, I believe it's the Boston Children's Hospital, possibly MGH, I apologize. But you basically go in and you tell it um, how you're feeling today. Right. And if you've had any symptoms and you can go in and just add your age and your zip code. Again, it's location tracking. Mm -hmm. You know my IP. I'm right. sure someone could find it. Um, but that's also an option too. And I think part of it for me is also it's kind of that, that frustrating piece of, you know, if we didn't have, again, that rugged individualism and we had a collective uh, mindset and we had strong leadership around preventative measures, we wouldn't need something like this as much. No. Um, but here we are, folks. Yeah, I mean, I hope that Apple and Google working together, and, and I think the thing that was really positive for me, and, and you know, and, and it was something I, that that I did sort of tell Joseph is that it happened so quickly, mm -hmm. you know, that it wasn't like, you know, months in and then Apple and Google sort of figured out and negotiated. And, you know, they, they basically, whoever made the call, whoever called whoever, mm -hmm. I mean, I like to think it's Tim Cook calling up, you know, uh, what's the guy that runs Google and, you know, saying like, look, you know, we, we just, uh, you know, we want to make this happen, but yeah, it happened quickly and it's the only way, at that level with those companies for it to happen in a way that's even close to private. Right. And so I thought that was a good <laughs> sign. And I do hope that it, it does lead to something that really can be a game changer because yeah, if the centralized government isn't there and isn't really working, it doesn't necessarily have to be authoritarian, but it has to be functional. Mm -hmm. Right. Then, you know, let's hope that there's something that takes its place and can be effective for all of us. Totally. And from the, five, I believe, uh, countries that were outlined in the Harvard Business Review article. We'll focus on two real quick because they are the most interesting ones. Um, <laughs> first, Hong Kong, which recently implemented a mandatory 14-day quarantine, quarantine for upon entry. Uh, to enforce this, you are required to download a app called Stay Home Safe, and then you are also given a paired wristband that uses geofencing. To help catch violators so that's <laughs> one scale and then we also have taiwan which according to the article is believed to be one of the first to use mobile phone tracking to enforce quarantine uh they call you twice a day and if you answer and you have to answer the phone because they are using this to enforce and ensure you are not evading tracking through apps by leaving your phone at home so there are some ways that people are going about this and countries are going about this. Uh, the three pieces that in uh, this article they point out of this more technocratic approach is scale, speed, and the degree of compulsion, which kind of loops back in. Even if Apple and Google are doing this, 
you have to have people say yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll I'll add the fourth factor, which is desperation. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> give it another three or four weeks in lockdown, and all three of us are going to be like, we will sign away <laughs> like anything. For eternity, all like location tracking, and you can have our account numbers and social security just so that we can take a walk outside. Speak you know? for yourself. I have zero cabin fever. I am living my best life. <laughs> I am staying safe. So I have I have family in healthcare, and they're definitely the same people who are saying, you know what you could do? Stay home. Just stay home, Kelly. I'm like, you know what? As a kid who got told, get outside and play my entire life, that I am so good at this. So you give it away, Mike, but just know right. that when when you're, you know, running and they're trying to Run. disappear you <laughs> because you've left your phone, What's... I'm not sure I'm going to give you my GPS coordinates. No, no, okay, no. all right. <laughs> until, or, or what until was you it? post something on Twitter and it just takes it for you anyways. That's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or you post what is it the three words? Yeah, uh, what three going words? Going back to yeah. another, yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing on this topic, one thing that is really interesting, and I did not think about it previously, is part of the reason potentially some of these more kind of Western countries like the U.S., France, Spain are having such difficulty with it is because we've never had to deal with it. Uh, whereas a lot of That's East true. Asian countries, as outlined in the uh, Harvard, Harvard Business Review article have dealt with major outbreaks like this. SARS, uh, I think, what was some of the other ones that they had? Yeah, they, it is not the first time they, they've had to do this, so it is easier for them to put out this type of protection. So moving right, right along, as... The majority of the U.S. is indoors and looking for some sort of assistance from our government. We have heard more and more calls for this uh, ancient programming language known as COBOL. Uh, in a article um, that was brought out, I believe this was a Medium article written by Dave Gershkorn during a briefing the new jersey governor phil murphy actually pleaded and started seeking volunteers for people who know knew what COBOL was and how to uh, work with it because as we are finding out more and more the majority of our government systems and banking systems run on this outdated system it's it's something that like uh especially when what the press conference in New Jersey came out and they were talking about, oh, and by the way, if anyone knows any COBOL programmers, <laughs> we need to talk to you. I mean, that that was sort of like Twitter just lit a flame with all ca- kinds of crazy stuff, especially sort of tech Twitter. But it is kind of interesting because it's not just about old programming languages. I mean, and people talk about Y2K and the same sort of people had to come out of of hibernation. <laughs> out of I kind of imagine them. Yeah, exactly. They're all like really long hair. They're elite forces. Programmers. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, exactly. Elite force. I think of all the things they are, they are not elite. Um, but it now, now. it is I uh, well, okay. They're 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 saving the unemployment right. sort of yes, absolutely of of millions of people. So they should be they're elite. Um but you know, there's so many factors that really kind of play into this it's it's about sort of the defunding of of these 
you know, governmental institutions that are supposed to be taking care of, you know, important functions. I mean, now supremely important. Maybe unemployment insurance wasn't really that important, uh, you know, two months ago, but it is really important yeah. now. And, uh, you know, and it's all of this stuff that's sort of built up over the years, which effectively we're paying for now. Or like the, so I'm reminded that, the devs I worked with in 2000 were making fun of COBOL. <laughs> and so it, I feel like this comes up all the time. And I like the idea, though. It's almost like this crew of, of people who just come back out like these superheroes, these old-timey superheroes who, <laughs> like, put on your cloak. What was that movie? Oh, my God, I'm thinking of a kid's movie, The Marvels? No. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, they all put on, you know, their superhero suits and they grab their cobalt bags. And, you know, as what was it in the article? It was like, they're the cobalt cowboys. Yeah. Um, cobalt cowboys. It, like, yeah. the second I read that, it made me think of there was a, two movies, uh, Space Cowboys, uh, which the entire point of it <laughs> is that old astronauts and flight pilots guys, are going yeah. out, but also exactly. like Armageddon. This ragtag yeah. group walking down That's this exactly Michael what... Bay. We have explosions, <laughs> but instead they're going into a lab to work on, from this article, the Department of Education System for Processing Applications, which was implemented in 1973. It needs service because right. it still has not been updated. Uh, the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, <laughs> repeatedly warned about this, and as recent as 2019 issued a report summarizing, quote, 10 federal computing systems that were in desperate need of overhaul. But yeah. it was not the priority. I... And oops. Yeah. yeah. The movie I was thinking about was The Incredibles. Yeah. The... Oh, The Incredibles. Right. Right. But also, right, I so... love that image, Adam, of them coming out because it isn't just... So um, Sarah and I always joke that we're only one um, old old government system hack away from total collapse of society. Yeah. And this is their like high stakes thing, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like this is the movie pitch we're doing right now. Someone out oh, yeah. there. Definitely. Well, I think it, it is nice to sort of romanticize. <laughs> are we are we romanticizing <laughs> the Cobalt programmer, the Cobalt Cowboys? The Cobalt Cowboys. I, I do appreciate. I have a I, lot of friends on unemployment that. right now. So yeah, you know absolutely. what? To me, they are frontline people. They're frontline frontline people that I'm sure are happy not to actually be on the frontline. Yeah. Um. But, uh, you know, it 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 does sort of you know, kind of, it, it reminds me of some some of the other stuff kind of going on in, in the tech world right now. So this idea with Zoom, like Zoom's really getting pounded on lately about all these security issues. And a lot of that comes from the fact that Zoom has had tremendous growth. Um, One could say explosive. <laughs> yeah, explosive growth. <laughs> uh, there, there's some amazing statistics that I'll, I'll put in my plug uh, about sort of how much uh, growth Zoom has had relative to other platforms but um but you know th they're running into issues because they've really prioritized ease of use over security mm -hmm. and there's actually a lot of very sort of similar threads you know in this and the COBOL world this idea of technical debt you know you're, you're sort of prioritizing certain things over others but essentially landing in the same place which is that you have to do a ton of catch-up in order to actually bring your platform 
to both be sort of reliable, stable, high performance, and be able to scale with what the world needs. And it's and it's two completely different stories, but very related to each other totally. in terms of of that concept. Yeah. yeah, it's to me it is that kind of the startup ideal of work fast and break stuff, but then forget to fix that stuff because now you're doing more <laughs> things. Uh, I was in a training recently uh, focusing on agile product ownership, whatever. But there was a key piece of that training where they were discussing how technical debt starts to accumulate because we're always trying to bring out those new features. We're always trying to improve. And you know what? Sometimes these bugs, they're really, really difficult to figure out that they're really difficult and time intensive to fix, but implementing a new feature on top of that, pretty easy. So we're always trying to strive for newer, better, bigger, greater, and that debt becomes harder and harder to fix. And that's to the point of the COBOL thing. It's very, very expensive to completely revamp a system, especially if, what, 80% of the world's credit card-based transactions are using this system. You know what? This hasn't changed. Nothing's moving. Let's just keep it going. Let's keep on using, what is it, the the card punch systems because you know what it's working i feel like the agile process is apropos for this because it does feel like with their exponential growth they had a beta release mm -hmm. and now they have all these testers giving them feedback right <laughs> but right. it is true yeah. in in software development it's like you or at least in my experience the really hard issues like we would always triage it as you know, this is a high priority or a low priority, um, high effort, low effort. Mm -hmm. And what we always worked on because of, you know, profit margins and ROI and all that is what? Low effort, high priority. Right. Right. So right. you never get around to fixing big problems and then you have your production team who's always in there like with in the boat that's filling up with water and you're just kind of shoveling it out and like mm -hmm. hoping for the best yeah well and and i think the thing about technical debt is it's impossible to avoid right oh, yeah mean, it, it's you know the idea that and, and i think it's easy to not only romanticize the cobalt cowboys but romanticize the problem i mean in the sense of like oh you know governments are stupid oh the, yeah you know they're running on cobalt which is like so many decades old but the reality is, is this happens to the best funded best resourced organizations with the smartest people as well as governmental organizations you know the idea that you know Things are okay because they're running as they are, and you don't need to fix the stuff that might break one day because you're going to be 10 times bigger right. or because, like, cybersecurity folks are going to be 10 times more savvy than they were, you know, before. Or, you know, COVID might happen. I mean, it's a very natural human instinct to say, eh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this is sort of what ends up happening. 50 years later. I don't like know? democracy. <laughs> <laughs> and capitalism. Whoops. But, oh, darn. But yeah, it's technical debt. It's a snowball effect that the decision of eight weeks ago, because it was the best decision at the time, sometimes it is because you are, it is 1 a.m. and you're a data center and you're like, I only have this one cable. I need to make it work. I'll get back to it, but then oh, other, never made not, that never made that mistake. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's very easy to get stuck um, 
I think we find stories of kind of those superhero moments of, you know what, I through twine and sheer force of will created this program out of nothing and things keep on getting stacked on top of it and Mm -hmm. you forget until somebody some researcher comes out some kind of white hat says you know what this is a major issue i'm going to publicize it Mm -hmm. not because they're looking for fame or that they're looking to say zoom is the worst company known to man it's no it's hey we really just need to fix this uh as kind of focus on that, the uh, Citizen Lab, which is a group of highly, quote, highly respected security researchers at the University of Toronto, publicized a whole bunch of areas of improvement, we'll call them for Zoom, and said, <laughs> quote, the most prominent security issues with Zoom surround deliberate features designed to reduce friction in meetings which also by by design reduce privacy and security. Zoom was just trying to make a better product. They were just trying to make something easier to use, make it so that way it wasn't as clunky, but we always have to take shortcuts. And the best way to do that is sometimes making things less secure, less private. And it appears that Zoom has been responding to a lot of these issues. Like there was something I just saw... um, that the attention tracking has been removed. Mm-hmm. Oh. That was one thing that they were um, talking about in the idea of maybe it was the private text messages being seen by the hosts, little things, but right. it sounds like right. they're, they're responding well. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you know, one of them was like, you could click on a link and if it was sort of formed in a certain way, it would give access to like credentials on a windows machine yeah. And people were kind of going back and forth saying, well, that's the user's problem for clicking on a link in a chat mm-hmm. that they're not familiar with. And right. once again, this sort of age old, like, let's blame the users yeah. for doing Stupid something. users. Is, yeah, I know. For doing something that's clearly just in a blue line in front of them to click on, <laughs> um, you know, these types of things. So I, I think, yeah, you're, I think you're right, Kelly. They have actually uh, kind of addressed this technical debt quite quite quickly in the grand scheme of things it also helps that zoom has a very good model for software deployment which is every time you have a zoom call at the end of the call it checks to see if there's an upgrade and it's really easy for you to hit yeah i'm going to upgrade that sort of knowing for the next call you know those improvements will be there and so i think their their rate of deployment especially nowadays with so many people using it is is also very rapid as well which i think kind of helps to to you know because it's not just about fixing mm-hmm. it it's about getting that out in the hands of the users and i think they're they're very good at that i will say yeah. my most sent link lately especially as this kind of zoom boom happened and then all the concern that happened afterwards is a article which will be in the show notes by jason kobler written uh, for motherboard with the headline zoom has security flaws it's still fine to use but the kicker is the byline and it's the best byline it's not unfair to or fear-mongering to point out Zoom's security flaws. It's how the software will get bit better. Exactly. Like that's how software development works. You don't know about issues exactly. until someone points it out because they become blind spots. Technical debt is sometimes hidden because why would I like go into the old code? Sometimes it's you have to, and that's how things get better by pointing out Zoom has these issues i've seen way too many facebook posts being shared around of like why are we using this like 
We can't. I don't yeah. want to because it's zoom. better than WebEx. Right. I was just right. on one, guys. <laughs> it yeah. was terrible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like this is how we move as a mm-hmm. technology society. Now, now yeah. Zoom has I, ten million times the amount of users, so you'll find stuff much faster. <laughs> Well, and I th- I think ultimately what will end up happening in a, in a world that's sort of dominated by technology, if you want to look at companies that that do that really will do well, it's companies that that deal with this technical debt issue properly, mm-hmm. right? And some of it is the really boring stuff where they actually address technical debt before it hits the hits the you know the news and and people highlight security issues they're sort of they have a system by which they recognize Mm -hmm. that they're making a decision that needs to be dealt with later there's a great sort of twitter person called swift on security who equated technical debt to deferred pain and that's exactly what it is And it's not just deferred pain it's like the pain gets larger over time the longer you defer it that pain gets larger and so i think organizations that recognize that these small decisions that are made very early on in the process have deferred pain and have that pain in the future and then deal with that not necessarily day one or day two after that's been dealt you know that decision's been made but maybe a few weeks maybe a couple months um you know they react to these things and they adapt and they they sort of fix that technical debt and make that go away those are the ones that are going to be creating truly great products, you know, and, and I would argue that Apple's very good at that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons that they're such, such a popular platform is that they're, they, they don't let this technical debt, a la some of the Android issues around security that have really bit Google in the mm-hmm. ass, you know, build up and cause, cause as much problems as, as others. Totally. And ultimately, the reason why we're hearing about this so much is because look at the world like if zoom was still going at the same clip they may still have found the same bits of issues security flaws and patched them just as regularly but ultimately every single person that i know is using zoom in some fashion so it is not cause for concern in the same way read the updates update your software use your passwords, know why you're putting your password in it. It's like that kind of basic computer, or I don't want to say basic. It is that elevated computer literacy that we all as a world are now needing to adopt as we are stuck in homes. Yep. The world is changing, but I mean, hopefully companies like Zoom are taking care of the technical debt. I'm less optimistic about the COBOL programmers or COBOL <laughs> cowboys. I do hope that they that they pull through. You know, for the states like New Jersey, but there's yeah. a lot. I mean, you know, they talked about the sort of the 10 federal systems that are running on COBOL. Yeah. That doesn't even account for all the state ones that are really having trouble. Right. So we're going to need a real big debrief after all this, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what did we do well? <laughs> what did we. <laughs> what Silent <is> room. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the time we have. Uh, this week on the Grepcast. Thank you again for listening to us, and we'll be back at it again soon. If you have seen any articles, any tweets, any videos that you think are interesting and you want us to lend our impressive thoughts on, please feel free to shoot it over to us over at Grepcast at TSP.me and check out where, what we're up to over on our websites, TSP.me and TSP.space, and as always on LinkedIn and Instagram. In terms of plugs this week, Kelly, what do we got? 
I am plugging bookshop.org. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go to Amazon. Apparently, they're not prioritizing book shipping anyway. So it's a great time mm-hmm. to break that and get out of the Baruch assault, like, I want it now attitude. Um, but what's great, too, is because of our independent bookstores, if they're shut down right now because of social distancing or work from home, what have you, you can find your bookstore. And if they're signed up, um, 30% of all sales from bookshop.org goes to that particular indie bookstore. And if you don't have an indie bookstore, it goes into a bucket to help um, independent bookstores. And they've already... Um, they've already given not given but earned almost a million dollars for indie bookstores so do that personal plug it is just as easy as using amazon i bought two books myself so right nice mike how about you well i mean my plug isn't nearly as good as yours (laughs) but i in that it's really not plugging anything but it is a link to that uh, well, it is plugging of all companies, Nokia. All right. All which right. I'm like, that's do they a blast still exist? from the past, right? I know it's a blast from the past, but apparently they are doing. I mean, they're basically in in the business of network traffic analysis, and they have some great blogs about well the effect of COVID on the networks of the world, and you know how you're getting that Netflix, you know, and it still works. How these Zoom calls are still functioning, you know, despite huge increases in traffic so i just found it very interesting awesome well thank you so until we talk to you again wash your hands stay at home and stay cool see ya bye